Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you very much, and we appreciate you joining us on WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Dr. Beck is a primary care physician, board certified in family practice, and you find him at the WellMed Clinic at Loop 410 and Centerview, the clinic I go to, but uh, so far he's not my doctor. I don't think we could have a doctor-patient relationship. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how, the, how those uh, radio station discussions would go, you know, <laughs> when you're mad at me yeah, right, for right. not refilling your meds. And I have no HIPAA concerns, so right. that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing to hide. Well, we've got a, uh, uh, another primary care physician, board certified as well in family practice, joining us on our WellMed Radio hotline, Dr. David Mulliken. He's with the South Alamo Medical Group. Dr. Mulliken earned a certificate of public health at the University of Texas Health Science Center, did his residency at Christus Santa Rosa here in San Antonio, and earned his medical degree from the University of Texas Health Science Center, which is now UT Health. And Dr. Mulliken, mm-hmm. thanks for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. And one of the things that I mentioned uh, uh, when we were talking off the air is that you were debating between multiple possible careers, and you got accepted into uh, several fine arts programs to become a writer. Ultimately, you decided to go to medical school. I, I, I did. After, um, after undergrad, um, I um, thought very hard about becoming a writer and realized that, that medicine was more my calling, and, and so I um, ventured uh, back to medicine. I have a biochemistry degree, so it, it certainly made sense to come back to, to medicine. But I, I do think um, having uh, interest in creative arts and, and writing has helped um, see the patient more as just a, a, a bunch of symptoms and, and more as a, as a complete human. Yeah, and actually, you know, and as being a medical doc, you know, you could still do some writing, but you wouldn't be able to do it the other way around. So this way you could do Correct. both things if you wanted to. So if you're a writer, you couldn't practice medicine? I mean, I guess you could try, but oh, it wow. might, might land you in jail. That's not fair. <laughs> it, is, it is, isn't it? <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your practice and about the South Alamo Medical Group, Dr. Mulligan. Sure. The, the South Alamo Medical Group has been... Um, around for about 20 years, um, started by two primary care docs um, uh, around the turn of this century, I, I guess. Um, but the clinic that I am that I'm at, it's our Westover Hills um, Northwest San Antonio Clinic, um, and it's been around for about five years. And uh, we are a really great group. We've got um, mainly primary care um, clinicians. Uh, but we also have an endocrinologist and a couple of pediatricians um, as well. Um, and so we can serve all patients from um, those newborns all the way to, to the um, oldest patients um, in San Antonio. And um, we uh, are very proud of, of our history and, and, and all the good work that we've done. When you think of the older patients, I often think of riverfront property on the River Styx. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe so, yeah. So as you think about the kind of practice that uh, uh, you have, 
Uh, are you also seeing, in addition to uh, uh, seniors, uh, although you're not a pediatrician, but do you see younger patients? Absolutely. I'm, I'm comfortable seeing um, any age groups um, at this point. Which makes it interesting, I would think. Yeah, I, I, I like the variety of patients. One of the reasons I pick family medicine is, is that variety, um, that, that every um, day is a little different, every room you walk in is, is a little different. Um, you've, you've got to be armed with lots of different um, uh, skills. So I, I like that a lot about, uh, about primary care and family medicine and, and more specifically. And I'm just curious, it has nothing to do with uh, anything other than here we are talking on the radio, but do you use a medical scribe when you're with patients or do you take your own notes? So right now I take my own notes. I have used a medical scribe before, and it is great. I, li- I like it a lot. Um, and and it, they just kind of blend in with the wall, um, and, and patients, uh, you know, after a while don't, don't even really notice them. So it's, it, it's a great tool to have um, when you're seeing patients in a, a busy clinic. Dr. Becker, can, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I can say I can just really focus on the, on the patient and not focus on the, uh, the, the computer. Right. Do you use a scribe? Yeah, I use a scribe. I'm I'm getting to the point where I may not use a scribe and may try out uh, something called uh, Dragon Dictation instead, uh, which some of my colleagues use. Uh, Audio to to text. Exactly. And so, um, you know, scribes are nice when you have good scribes, but sometimes if the scribes aren't that good, then, you know, then it just makes everything much longer. Uh, And so it just depends, you know, and... Uh, some, you know, most patients do fine with allowing scribes in the room. There are some patients, I would say very, very few, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Dr. Mulliken and I, uh, you know, the majority of the patients, it's just, you know, primary care. Uh, you know, it's not an OBGYN office, you know, where many more would say no. Uh, however, uh, you know, you do have an occasional patient that, you know, prefers just a private conversation with the doc. Interesting. So, but the scribes are nice. I That's think cool. it's nice. And one of the things, Dr. Mulligan, that uh, you'd indicated uh, you'd like to talk about is a topic that affects people at any age, and that's the whole question of sleep hygiene and insomnia. And were you, as a specialist understanding sleep hygiene, to walk into my bedroom, you would see absolutely what you don't want to see, which is a giant television, bright lights, open window out to the back patio, and my wife on her cell phone 24-7. And then you're just missing the uh, bag of, uh, of stuff to munch on, you know, the food that well, you eat while you're in bed watching TV. Yeah, we ban <laughs> that because it all ends up crumbs in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep, and so, uh, well, you, you alluded to one of the things that uh, probably Dr. Mulligan and I will, you know, would discuss when it comes to sleep hygiene. But and I'm, that would be? Well, I'm going to let Dr. Mulligan give us his take on, on sleep hygiene and uh, insomnia. So a patient walks into your office and you're talking and uh, they say, you know, I'm just having trouble sleeping. I go to bed, uh, I watch a little television, I turn it off, I go to sleep for a couple hours, and then boom, I'm wide awake at 2 or 3 in the morning. What do you say to them? You know, um, insomnia is is actually a pretty complicated um, uh, condition. Um, it, and I, it's complicated probably for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons is we don't even know really why we need sleep. 
we know what happens when you don't get good sleep, but we don't really know um, specifically why we why we our bodies even require sleep. So so, so that so that makes trying to evaluate um, insomnia difficult. You know, the first thing that, that I always do is is I, I I try to run through a list of other things that it could be other you know re- other reasons why someone might be getting up in the middle of the night, um, such as certainly as as people age, they have to get up and go to the bathroom more often. Um, so even something as benign and innocuous as that, um, th- th- that's something that you've got to kind of run through in your in your mind as as you're thinking about why is this person um, um, w- w- waking up. Um, something that I, I see all the time um, that kind of goes hand in hand with insomnia is if someone is is anxious or depressed about something, those symptoms go you know just hand in hand, mm. and um, it, it, it's something that if if you can't get your hands around the the anxiety component, then then the sleep is never going to be very good. So there you know there's all sorts of, of different uh, psychological and um, physiological reasons why people make it up um, that may contribute to that insomnia. Yeah, I would, I'll chime into that too, and I'll add that, you know, I agree with Dr. Mulliken. There's a long list of things that it could be uh, that we have to rule out before you come to like a diagnosis of primary insomnia uh, as, as, as being just insomnia in and of itself. Uh, not, you know, not so much triggered by, by something else, but other things would be, you know, whether they have apnea, sleep apnea would be a reason. Uh, and so that's That's where you stop breathing. Well, you stop breathing at night. And so that's something that we often ask, uh, whether they're snoring or whether they have witnessed apnea where, you know, their spouse or significant other witnesses, witnesses them, or maybe they know, you know, they wake up, you know, like kind of startled because they couldn't breathe. Um, or a loud snore. Other reasons would be uh, pain. You know, maybe somebody has chronic pain. Maybe they have, you know, chronic nasal congestion or sinus congestion and sinus issues that, you know, you know, everybody's been there, you know, where you can't breathe at night and it really makes for a lousy sleep. You know, when you can't when you can't breathe out of your nose. You now, to, hold, hold that thought. I want to yeah. remind folks who just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, and we're talking with Dr. David Mulliken on our WellMed Radio hotline with South Alamo Medical Group. And one of the things, both Dr. Beck and uh, Dr. Mulliken, that I've always been fascinated about, which is what happens at that moment between you're awake and you're asleep? That that's a, a really good question, and, and I'm, uh, our sleep experts are probably much uh, better yeah. tuned to answer this. But it's it's probably more of a process than just a a, a point of um, uh, awake and a, and, and asleep. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a whole process of your body relaxing and then um, going through the, the stages of, of of sleep until you get to the deeper sleep called the REM sleep, and and that's where. Um, that's where a lot of our dreaming comes from, but but it, it, it it's probably more of a progress progressive nature. Um, oftentimes, when people think I didn't sleep all night, in fact, when you look at a, a you know if if you were to connect them to the to the um, sleep um, uh, equipment that we can monitor sleep with, it does show that that they were falling asleep during the night. Um, it may not be great sleep, but 
but very few people actually don't sleep at all during the night. Yeah, the other the other things to think about is maybe it's not the patient, you know, maybe it's their bed. Maybe they have a bad mattress, you know, and maybe uh, maybe it's uncomfortable because of that. So, I mean, those are things that maybe you don't think about. You know, everybody wants to come up with a diagnosis, but sometimes you have to look at, you know, the more obvious reasons, which are maybe less obvious, but really obvious, you know, and if you don't ask and the patient doesn't volunteer, then you don't know. Well, that's a good point, though. Um, Is there the right bed for the right person? I don't want to get into schlepping mattresses here, but... Uh, there are hard beds, soft beds, beds that are foam, beds that are not, beds that sit up, beds that don't lie flat. Yeah. What do you recommend? I'm not a bed expert, so I would have to pass on that, but I would say it's an individual decision. So whatever the patient thinks is the best bed for them is probably the best bed. <laughs> Dr. Mulligan, do you, you have any, uh, uh, any sense of are beds better than other beds? I, I, I don't, and, and th- that would probably be an interesting research assignment to to uh, you know, to go and get a couple of the beds and and test them out, um, but you know, I I think more than just mattress, it's it's the whole environment that that we that we um, go to sleep in. All right, um, we're going to pick this up in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Talking on our Wellman Radio Hotline with Doctor David Mulligan. I'm Ron Aaron. Doctor Joshua Beck, our co-host. You're listening to Wellman Radio on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. Caregiving is incredibly difficult and challenging for thousands of people caring for someone they love. It's a job that is demanding and often feels as if it's never-ending. Caregivers feel alone and lonely. That's where Caregiver SOS On Air comes to the rescue. This half-hour weekly program features nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and attorney and veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. Ooh. That's me. Caregiver SOS on air, Saturday mornings at 7.30, Sunday evenings 5.30, on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. If you've just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, talking on our WellMed Radio hotline with Dr. David Mulliken. He's with the South Alamo Medical Group, and Dr. Joshua Beck, our co-host, is here. And, And Dr. Mulliken, why don't we talk more about sleep hygiene and what it is you look at and recommend uh, uh, for someone to uh, encourage sleep? So I think in, in the past, back in the 1800s and before then, um, sleep was probably a lot easier, but we had these things called light bulbs come in and, and, uh, and then after that, TVs and, and computers and now these things we can hold in our hands that just provide so much stimulation that we've got to really kind of take a step back and, and consider how are we um, going to sleep? What's the process that we um, are, are trying to, to get into sleep with? And so, you, and, and so that it's the schedule that, that you want to try to get your body into every, uh, every night. So what do you recommend? Try to go to sleep? So I, sure. So, so I, if setting a, a correct bedtime and a um, time to wake up is generally what's recommended by the experts out there. So um, if, if you um, think about when you want to go to bed and say it's, it's 10 p.m., um, you about 9 to 9.30, all of those things with, with lights on it, like your TV, they need to be turned off. Um, and, you, and you need to kind of go through the same routine every night. So this is, of course, ideal we live busy lives, and, and you can't always do that. But the more you can do that, the better. So 
And so going and taking a warm shower, reading a book, whatever routine that, that just helps calm your, your body and your mind um, will, will help introduce your body to, to a regular schedule and get you to, to bed um, easier. As you look at, um, go ahead, I was going to say the environments in which we live, there's indoor light and then there's outdoor ambient light. Correct, correct. So, so getting the, um, um, the, the lights um, dimmed as, as you go through that process, and then, and then once you're ready to go to bed, turning those lights off completely. And if you don't have good blinds or, or good curtains, um, you, you should probably get that as well, because even, even when it's nighttime in, in a lot of our neighborhoods, it's still pretty light up, the, a lot right. light up there. I've taken care of a lot of, of, of patients that have been truck drivers or um, worked in a factory and had to work nights. Um, and, and, and those are the really, really difficult uh, cases because they're getting in at 7 or 8 in the morning and trying to sleep at that point when it's bright light outside. And, and they have a really, really terrible time. So trying to make that room as dark as possible is, is, is really important. And my first job in radio was overnight, midnight to 6 a.m., and you just had to flip your life around uh, in, mm-hmm. in order to accomplish that. Yeah, sometimes, you know, sleep hygiene isn't enough. Sometimes those, you know, shift work disorder uh, patients, you know, sometimes when they work, you know, at night and, and they sleep during the day, sometimes they, you know, they require medication or supplements of some, of, of, uh, you know, of some sort to kind of help get them sleepy. Well, how do the two of you <clears> deal <throat> with that in residency? Didn't you work crazy shifts? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. But, you know, I think that, you know, at least for me, you know, I was tired, you know, very, very tired by the time I got done with my shift that, you know, I had no problem falling asleep. <laughs> so yeah, no matter yeah, when. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, mentally exhausted, you know, and, and, and then maybe a little physical, too, from all the walking up and down, you know, uh, you know, stairs and stuff, you know, to go to the different floors. So for a patient, a fair question, if you're in the ER, is, hey, hey Dr. Beck, how long have you been up? Uh, you know, well, I guess it just depends, you know. We tell them it depends on the shift that you're working, and, <laughs> and so, you know, I tell them I've got my cup of coffee in hand, so I'm, right. I'm, I'm awake. <laughs> so you're spiked with coffee. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe physically exhausted, but mentally I'm there. So, so. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Mulliken, when, when you talk about uh, without necessarily – labeling it in insomnia, uh, does the inability to fall asleep or waking up and not going back to sleep affect people at every age? It, it does. It, it does. It can affect anybody. Um, but certainly as we age, this becomes a more common problem. Um, and uh, my patients that are in the, their 80s and 90s, very few of them um, get a full eight hours of sleep, um, un, un, uh, uninterrupted sleep. Um, uh, it's when you're, when you're 80 and, and 90, it, it, it's, you've, a lot of times you've got to kind of sleep when you can, unfortunately. Um, but it's a problem that increases <clears throat> as, you, as you age. How many hours of sleep do we need theoretically? It, in theoretic, theoretically, as adults, it, it really shows <clears throat> that the, the data that's, that has come out shows seven to eight hours of sleep uh, for most people is is necessary. It scares me when I hear about the number of people that on, that are only getting four and five hours of sleep, and they're thinking they they feel really good, 
but that's just I think because they've become so accustomed to being um, chronically sleep sleep deprived. So if we could shoot for seven to eight hours of of uninterrupted sleep, um, I think all of us would would be doing a good thing. Now the same for toddlers, teenagers. The hours change based on the age, you know. So it usually it, it usually gets shorter the older you get, the amount of sleep that you need. Um, Correct. But, you know, I've read that, you know, really physically you only need four hours of sleep for your body, but it's the it's your brain that needs the other hours to be able to process the, the things that you did and, you know, discard the memories that don't matter and store the memories that, that do matter. And, um, you know... Because, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you're going to wake up and you're going to be groggy. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much coffee. I don't know. If, I mean, I'm sure y'all have been there, but it doesn't matter how much coffee you have if you haven't slept. I mean, you can have 10 cups of coffee, but you're still going to feel tired. You know, you're going to be a little awake, but, you know, you're still going to be feel very, very physically exhausted. Uh, if you I'm don't one get of those sleep. Uh, folks. Caffeine doesn't keep me awake. Yeah. So I mean, it doesn't put me to sleep mm-hmm. either way. I can. Yeah. Drink caffeine yeah. two minutes before going to bed has no effect. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, everybody. I don't know why. Uh, you know, s- some people are more susceptible to, you know, the uh, c- you know effects of caffeine compared to others. One other point I just wanted to make real quick is medication. Sometimes people that get diagnosed with insomnia, you know, will end up, let's just say the sleep hygiene didn't work. And maybe you tried some natural supplements, you know, over the counter and those didn't work like melatonin, melatonin or, you know, maybe for a short time, you know, because you had, you know, something strenuous, or, you know, that produced a lot of anxiety happen and you were on some short term, you know, Benadryl or ZZZ Quill or one of those over the counter marketed sleep aids. Um, but sometimes patients, you know, think that they need to be on medication all the time and they're, they're, there's certain classes of medications that are prescribed uh, that are now actually controlled uh, medications um, uh, similar to uh, certain certain narcotics, uh, and that's because they're habit-forming. And so they're not made to be used for long periods of time. They're for short-term insomnia. Which ones would those be? Like Ambien would be an, a, a good option, or Lunesta or Balsamra, uh, and there may, you know, there may be some others I can't think of right now, but... Uh, sometimes people get hooked on them, you know, and not hooked on them like they abuse them. Psychologically in the hooked. Yeah, like just mentally they're, you know, they're, they're um, you know. Can't uh, go to sleep unless I have it. Yeah, they're ad- uh, addicted to the medication. You know, they can't. Yeah, exactly. And so sometimes I'll see new patients that have been on Ambien for, you know, years and years and years and years, you know, and they can't they can't sleep without it. Uh, and I, you know, I'm sure Dr. Uh, Mulliken has has had the same encounter, but you know, it, it's nice to be able to uh, get people to sleep well without medication long term if you can. You know, now and, Dr. Mulliken, we know mm-hmm. there are some side effects uh, with medications like Ambien uh, that can be pretty disturbing, especially in the elderly. Oh yeah, absolutely. So. Um, some of the sleep meds, they, they act really short. You know, they're what, what we call half-life is only a couple hours. And so generally those are out of your system. But then some of them are, have a much longer half-life. And then, again, as you age, that half-life, your body just doesn't process the medic- medications uh, as well. And so you, you see that medicine continue to work even during the daytime hours. So people will um, feel like they're in a fog 
so like they um, they they uh, their memory gets worse. Um, they've done test driving tests with these patients, and they patients have failed driving tests. An increased risk of falls um, can can certainly happen as well. So so in general, um, we 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 try to limit um, these sort of medications to to a matter of a, a couple of weeks or maybe a, a month or two um, to try to you know, kind of reset uh, a, a person's sleep cycle. So in, in the last 30 seconds that we have, I, I need you to solve every issue in the world. When it comes to not being able to sleep, what's the best thing you should do? Talk to your PCP or try over-the-counter medications? Uh, yeah, you, you need to come talk to me. Come talk to, talk to your primary care doc. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, especially since there's numerous, numerous causes of insomnia, it would be, you know, it would be good to come in to see your PCP, talk about it, you know, and then we can kind of come to the root of the problem and then find the solution. A lot of your patients struggle with this, Dr. Beck? Oh, yes, so many. And Dr. Mulliken, you see a lot of these as well. If this isn't the biggest problem that I see, it's, it's a top five. Okay. Hey, thanks for coming on. South Alamo Medical Group is where you find him, Dr. David Mulliken. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you for having me. You take care. Bye-bye. And thank you to our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Thank you. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.